welcome to the People Ventures Podcast. How are you doing today, Jacob? Doing all right. Good, good. And uh, let's just start off with what do you do? Uh, I am an electrician. I'm with the union, the IBEW, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Uh, they're the largest electrical union in America. They also have locals in Canada. So it's very easy being a union member to work anywhere across the country that there is a local and that they have work that they need help with. And uh, what kind of work do you do? Um, mostly commercial, large-scale projects. The union doesn't do a lot of the residential, mostly non-union contractors, small startups will do a lot of the houses and the small projects. But the union, one of the benefits is that they can man a lot of guys, so they get a, a large number of uh, electricians to do very large-scale projects, such as uh, nuclear power plants, stadiums, hospitals, data centers, anything huge. And did you always want to be an electrician? How did you get into that? Uh, no, I did not grow up as a young boy dreaming of being an electrician. And in fact, I had no idea what an electrician even did. I was very misinformed when I started the trade. I think when I was younger, at one point, I thought being a police officer would be cool. Uh, at one point, being a spy would be pretty cool. Maybe working at um, the CIA or the FBI. I think for a while when I was really young, it was, it was kind of a, a dream to build the Legos all day. And working at Legoland would be like really cool. As I got older, of course, some of those things seemed less appealing. Uh, I went to school for computer science for a couple of years, and then I realized that sitting behind a desk all day sucked. And uh, I want to get my hands dirty and do stuff instead of just type with my fingers. I still love programming. I love computers, but I don't want to do it 24 hours a day or even 40 hours a week. Usually, computer programmers work more than that, so you're indoors all the time looking at a computer, having deadlines. Didn't sound appealing, so I scrapped that for trades work. Started working with my hands, started painting, and actually most of the inspiration in that came from the video game Minecraft. I've only played Minecraft a few times. I think one of the few times I've played that I made like a sugarcane forest, and for some reason I was just intrigued by Sugarcane. It is the fastest growing Minecraft production as of yet. Oh yeah, I was very proud of it. People who make money on Minecraft are those who broadcast themselves on YouTube, but they don't actually sell the products they produce within the game. Even though there are some people that have made the algorithmic programmable logic unit for computers within the game Minecraft, which is insane and bizarre, I still don't think they get paid for designing that within the game of Minecraft. Jacob, you're definitely one of those friends that you know a lot of everything. Oh, well, thank you. I am intrigued by most things. I'm a very inquisitive person. When I have a question, I like to know the answer, and I look it up. And I am a borderline millennial. I grew up without internet when I was younger. I remember like when I was building Legos when I was like in elementary school. I wanted to make tanks because at that time Lego didn't build tanks like within the, the actual sets. They avoided military combat. But as a young kid, I mean that's the coolest thing. So I want to build missile launchers and tanks and automatic weapons and gun turrets. And I had to do it all from, from scratch because you can't buy those in the store at that time. Um, when I went to the library, I couldn't look up images online of a tank. I'd have to go to the card catalog and look for books on World War II or current books on tanks and then look at pictures in the books and build it that way. But now we have fancy phones and in my pocket I have access to the World Wide Web and any question I have at any point during the day, I can pop it out and quick Google search. Definitely doesn't teach you everything you need to know about any topic, but it, it does answer some simple questions on the spot and then usually leads to 
me buying more books if I continue to be interested in the topic to read more on that subject. You're like a full-time electrician, part-time guru in everything. <laughs> what is sort of the culture like being an electrician and being part of that group of professionals? I have a different opinions on the matter um, <laughs> when it comes to the term professional. I think in every line of work, uh, it's a lot more messy than the outside would think. And, and I've heard from those that work in an office, you still have the, the men that have never grown up that work in every field. You, you do have electricians that I would consider like, wow, they are, I would consider professionals. And you also have a lot of electricians, just like you would in any field, that haven't quite matured. But that's, I, I, I try to disassociate that from my specific line of work as an electrician. I think that's true for any line of work. It was shocking to me, I guess that's why I bring it up, because when I started the trade, you kind of have this ide ideology of like, oh, they're the professionals and I want to be like them. And then you get into it and realize that they're just human and uh, it's very messy and not everybody knows everything that they're doing. Uh, and you have people of all stripes and backgrounds and colors, but honestly, it, to some extent, you do need, I think within any good organization, you have the leaders and you have the followers and not everyone's a leader and that's not a bad thing. So some people need a little bit more direction, but they're really good at doing the small things. And then you have other people that are really good at overseeing the projects and they usually become the foreman that directs everybody else to, to do the work. At the end of the day, a lot of businesses stay running and people are employed and products get done. So it, it, it continues to work. And I think with capitalism in general, the businesses that don't have good practices tend to fail uh, and that's okay. And businesses that have good leadership and good practices continue to, to grow and expand, uh, which they should. If someone's like, man, I don't want to go to college, let me go to trade school, what is something you wish you knew, having the idea of being an electrician and what the reality is? Ah, well, when I was intrigued in doing construction, generally speaking, because I love Legos and Minecraft, I had the idea that I'd be building things start to finish, that I would be involved in the decision process of not only aesthetics, but like where what I want to put where, like when I'm building Legos or in Minecraft, I am both the designer uh, and the builder. Whereas in the trades, generally speaking, like as an electrician, I'm not designing anything. I'm just following a blueprint, I'm following directions, uh, and I'm told what to do. Sometimes if your boss is a micromanager, you're told step by step and you have very little choice in anything. You're always supposed to follow the electric code and as a professional electrician, you should know the electric code. So in every particular application, your foreman shouldn't have to tell you what every electrician should know as a journeyman, what's to code and what's not to code. But there becomes, even beyond that, just different um, different choices to make of how to run certain pipes. Some projects you have a little bit more freedom, and other projects you're pretty much just following a 3D model nowadays. The bigger projects, they have a, a 3D model layout of the, the main electrical distribution system. So you're just following step-by-step step where everything goes, um, which requires a lot less thinking. I do enjoy that on the projects where you do have have more ability to think about how you want to do something, you're challenged. And I like being challenged. And one of the benefits, I think, of being an electrician, and probably in different trades, it would be the same, is that you are confronted with challenges that you get to solve. And that's really fun. I'm a strong believer in not everyone has to go to college. Like not everyone has to go and get a four-year degree. Some incur debt, some don't. But a lot of people incur that five to six-figure debt for a job that could have been done without a college degree. You coming from a place where you didn't pursue one, you decided to go the trade school route or the blue-collar route. What are your thoughts on that? Of not everyone has to go to college and you can still have a, a successful career without one. 
Well, sure. I, I think the evidence speaks for itself. There are tons of different personality types, but some of the most wealthy people today, they didn't graduate. I, I'm pretty sure Bill Gates doesn't have a Well, he might have a degree now, but when he first started, I don't think he had a degree. And there's, there's a lot of people like him, mostly CEOs or people that just start their own business. You don't need a college degree to do that. Not saying that if you acquired one, it wouldn't help. It certainly could help. It, it, it just depends on what you want to do. But what, what I wish I was told when I was younger, I was encouraged just because of culture and at school. It's just driven into us. If you don't go to college, you won't be successful, uh, which I don't think is totally true. You have to define, first of all, what, what is success to you? Is it getting paid a whole buttload of money? Which sometimes you don't even need to go to, go to college to do that. Uh, but you have to decide what is what is success and what it is you want to do. Some things, if you know that you want to be a doctor and you're very convinced, maybe you've done an internship, you've had a lot of interaction with doctors or chiropractic or something that you, you have to have a college degree in order to work in that profession, then your only option for the most part is to go to college because you need that certification. But if you're not convinced and you know exactly what you want to do, and it doesn't have to be for the rest of your life, but you, you should take into consideration if you want to be a doctor, I mean, it might cost you $300,000 of debt in order to get into that position. So are you able to do the work needed, take out the amount of money needed if you don't have it, and work long enough in that profession or find some way to pay it off to quote unquote try it out. If you can, then great. If you can't, then maybe don't jump into it right away. I was always told if you don't go to school right away, you'll never go back, which may be true. I, I haven't gone back since I technically dropped out, but I've always kept that window open, at least in my mind. I've taken time. I've actually applied to go back to school and I was accepted to go back to school about four years ago when I was considering a fascination and what's called media ecology, but it didn't seem like going to school just to learn more about media ecology would meet any of my long-term goals. I just love learning, so I wanted to go to school to, to learn about it, but you don't even really have to go to school to learn about these things. There's a lot of options to audit courses and to read material, to sit down one-on-one -on -one with somebody who's a media ecologist and have conversation. There's a lot of ways to learn rather than getting a degree if you don't plan on working in that field. And I think it's also a misfortune, like in my, the case of my wife, where some people think they want to do something, they spend all the money, they spend all the time, they go to school, they go through all the work, and then they get into the job finally. They've never held a job previously in their life, which there's nothing wrong with that, there's nothing bad about that, that's fairly normal, but then right out of college you land what you thought was your dream job after you put in all that effort and you find you hate it and you loathe it and regrets start sinking in because now you have all the debt that you have to pay back, but you hate what you do, um, which is unfortunate in, in those circumstances. So I think it would always be beneficial for people to try and either internship or try doing something in the workplace, in the, in the marketplace before you go to school to see if that's something you want to do long term and commit to doing that, especially if it requires taking out an absorbent amount of debt that would be very hard to pay off if it either doesn't work out or, God forbid, you, you can't get a job in the field that you went to school for, which is the reality for others, especially when pandemics and things unexpected happen right when you're about to graduate. Uh, very unfortunate. On the flip side, there are plenty of opportunities, not only in the, the blue-collar trades, but I know other spheres, even with teaching, where my wife figured out she works for a private school. Private school does not necessarily require you to even have a bachelor's degree um, or any degrees to be a teacher at their school. There's someone that my wife works with who has gotten a teacher position by working with a school over a number of years, and they had a degree in another country, completely different field, uh, but they don't have a teaching degree, and yet they're 
a teacher where they went through a different route. They didn't inquire all the debt here in America, and they're doing the same thing that my wife is doing. So even in different trades that you'd think that you'd have to go to school, there may be opportunities to either test it out or to get into a position that does not require the same route. My logic was thinking that if I get into the construction field, I could either pay to go to trade school. There are technical schools that are like two years where you could learn to do electrical work or plumbing or whatnot, and they'll go over the code. They're definitely cheaper than a four-year liberal arts degree, but you still have to pay to do it. And in the meantime, you're not actually doing the work. You're just sitting in a classroom learning about the work. And I reasoned, well, I'd rather just get what's called an apprenticeship. In most every state has an apprenticeship program of sorts. Within the electrical field, it would be an apprentice license on the state level and sometimes the local level. And you work however many hours it is required by that state to be able to take the journeyman test for that trade. The state that I got my license, you need 8,000 hours as an a apprentice electrician. As long as you've worked 8,000 hours under a journeyman, a licensed journeyman, those hours are all kept record of by your employer and you submit those to the state as soon as you acquire your 8,000 hours and then you can register to take the state test to become what's called then a journeyman electrician and then I'm licensed on the state level to be a journeyman. In the process of doing all that of course I'm working as an apprentice for an employer for a contractor and they're paying me per hour to learn on the job what it looks like to be an electrician. Of course, I went through the union, so they have an entire class. Not only did I do 8,000 hours on the job, they require 900 hours of classroom training that is unpaid simultaneously. So there was about half of my class that started the program, the five-year program, and only about half of us finished. So there's no shame in not finishing. If a lot of the people that dropped out, they realized in the process that's not what they wanted to do. But they didn't really lose out much. They got paid to figure out that they didn't want to do it. And other of us continued through, and now I get paid a lot more than I did in the beginning because the reality is that a lot of blue-collar jobs are in demand and the pay is pretty good. So you got an $8,000 apprenticeship. 8,000 hour. 8,000 hour, yes. $8,000 would, would be great. That would be amazing. Yeah. You got paid for 8,000 hours too. Yes. During the whole 8,000 hours, I was getting paid for every one of those hours. And typically when people go to school, they, they don't get paid to go to school. They pay to go to school. This is true. That's definitely an advantage. It's a huge difference. I mean, I haven't looked at it from every perspective, but when I started the apprenticeship, I, I did some brief math and I realized I could take out, I mean, it depends on what you want to go to school for, but even my wife being a teacher, you're looking at by the time you graduate with the accrued interest on the loans, about $100,000 at a private living liberal arts university. So you can take out $100,000 in debt. I mean, who knows how long that'll take you to pay off depending on what kind of plan you have. Or over the course of five years, which is about the same time that you would be going to school for five years versus working for five years, I get paid about $120,000 over the whole course. So I, that's like a $220,000 difference. And then if you consider the fact that with the loan option, then although it's a $100,000 loan, if you do a 30-year payoff, you might be paying three times more than that. And if you invest some of the money that you're making, then you put aside 10% or whatever and you invest in a 401k, whatever it would be while you're doing the apprenticeship, then it's drastic. The difference between the amount of interest you're paying versus the interest you're being paid. And it's not just the career field of being an electrician. There's other fields. You know, there's plumbers. They have a similar uh, apprenticeship elevator technicians, and they yeah. have their own union, and they have amazing benefits, a great pension plan. Maybe I should tell my wife I'm going to be in a, an electrician <laughs> uh, or a uh, elevator mechanic. I feel that there, there is absolutely no harm. When I was in my early 20s and I decided to go down the route of being an electrician, I didn't plan on being 
electrician for the rest of my life, and I might not be an electrician for the rest of my life. I, I don't feel like I'm losing out. I'm still trying to figure out who I want to be and what I want to do. But in the meantime, I'm making a lot of money in the process of figuring that out. And at any point in time, I can quit. I might lose some of the pension benefits and whatnot, but if that's not what I want to do, it's just not worth it. Uh, life's too short. But in the meantime, I'm not fiddling around trying to, to figure out what I want to do while I'm not being paid or I'm being paid minimum wage. I'm getting paid a lot of money to gain different skills, whether it's people skills. If I haven't been a foreman yet, but it's something that I'm considering if I want to learn how to manage people better. Even if I'm not a foreman, I'm still learning management skills and managing my time and projects. There's, there's just a lot of general good things you learn in the process of doing blue collar work that is very beneficial while I still figure out who I want to be. I feel like a lot of people go to college for the same reason I initially went to college. The social pressures that are upon you, that if you don't go to college, you won't have a social life. If you don't get a college degree, you're somehow seen as uneducated. And I see you as very educated. I do know that you stay up to date on many things. Why don't you talk about your pursuit of education and knowledge void of a degree? I feel a lot of times as if I'm a black sheep, even as work, like as an electrician, it, it's <laughs> everyone I work with does not think like I do. There's a lot of people that just show up for the paycheck. They have no aspirations, no goals. I wouldn't go as far as to say the majority are hopeless. Um, there's definitely, I think hopelessness is found in every area, but they, they definitely don't have any, any clear long-term agenda besides wanting to retire and not work. And maybe that in one aspect is a huge difference because I don't plan on ever retiring. I don't plan on ever getting to the point where I'm just going to sit back and relax or stop pouring time and energy into something. Life is too short to ever fully retire. I plan on continuing to study, continuing to learn, continuing to pour into uh, young men. When I'm when I'm old and gray-haired, I look forward to being one of the wise sages in society, being involved, making decisions for the next generation, whatever uh, that would need, and particularly my kids or grandkids. I honestly don't know what's the cause of all of that, but I definitely love learning, love growing, and seems to be more of a minority of people that carry that, particularly in the blue collar fields. And on top of that, you um, have been able to travel more than you probably would have traveled if you had not gone the electrician route. It is true that certain trades, I wouldn't say every trade, that traveling is a huge option, but in construction broadly, particularly electrical and like plumbing. And if you're part of a union, it makes it a lot easier to do a lot of traveling. And I did, that was a high consideration of mine when I started into the field of electrician and chose to be part of the union, knowing that they are an international union and that there is the ability to work anywhere in the country sounded very appealing because I was very adventurous and I liked traveling. And I also considered the fact that if I learn a trade and I have a particular set of skills, it would be applicable anywhere in the world not just here in America. Certain professions would have more of a um, local benefit and then certain things definitely are needed everywhere in the world, regardless of where you live. Nowadays, there's electricity. It's only growing. It's only getting more complicated. So there would be opportunities for employment if I would need to be employed anywhere in the world. And not only that, but possibly self-employed. If I know how to do everything myself, um, I could start my own business and I know how to make things work. I know how to make the electricity function in a safe way. A lot of what I do is centered around safety, not just making it operate. And you go to some third world countries and they're very pragmatic. You can make the light bulb turn on, but that is scary stuff, very dangerous and people do die. Yeah, so being that I'm part of the union, 
I can travel and work on a different locals within the United States and possibly Canada. So I did do a little bit of that. I haven't done a whole lot because I also have other goals in mind. There are some travelers I have met. They call them travelers as the trade name for those electricians that just kind of work within the union all over. They call them travelers. Right now, I am currently considered a, a traveler because I am working outside of my home jurisdiction. And it's a fun experience. You learn a lot more that way. You can work on different types of projects that way. I did work over the summer at the Grand Canyon because I thought that'd be just a fun thing to do. I, did, I, did, I served pizza and beer, but it was a great experience. I guess along the lines of traveling, I had never met anyone from South Dakota before I met you. What is it like there? Uh, windy during parts of the year. Of course, we have a lot of tornadoes. Everyone has a basement. It's very different than out here on the East Coast. Because there are tornadoes, you take refuge in your basement when they come. I really haven't seen very many growing up in South Dakota, but it's a threat. They have tornado sirens all over. But it's very flat, and I think that's one of the reasons there are more tornadoes. There's not a whole lot there. Uh, One of my electrical apprentice buddies, when I was going through my apprenticeship, he was from down south somewhere, and he, he had lived in South Dakota for a time, and he was going through the electrical apprenticeship there. And he told me one day, he's like, Jacob, you know why a lot of people here drink so much? And he said, there's nothing else to do. And within the trays, I mean, it's very true. Like, there's so many. It's a huge culture. I was very shocked when I did my apprenticeship in South Dakota. A lot of the construction workers, their recreational time is going to the bars, drinking, partying. Out here on the East Coast, it's more of a minority, it seems. that A lot of people don't actually drink. Some of them don't drink at all. Some of them just do it very occasionally, but it's not a huge part of the culture. It's kind of odd thinking of cultural shocks within the same country, just because the United States is rather big comparatively. There's different parts in where I, I'm sure I would get a cultural shock being in the Midwest or even the West Coast, uh, as opposed to being to the East Coast. What are, what are some huge differences you came across and you were like, what is this? Uh, the traffic is definitely way worse on the East Coast <laughs> compared to South Dakota within the way that... The jurisdictions are set up for the union. Uh, Back home, we have a 70-mile jurisdiction, meaning that if you take a call from the hall to work on a particular project, most often, unless there's a special request, you know that you could be sent out up to 70 miles away from where you live to work away from home in order to get 70 miles away in South Dakota. It's about an hour drive. So nobody wants to work an hour away from home because that adds an extra two-hour commute to your day. Uh, and you're driving 120 miles a day in order to get to the job site and back. And because of the market share currently in, in that area, probably 50% of the time, you, you know that that might be the case. You're working outside of the city. Compared of that to out here, you know, it might take you an hour to get 20 miles. And the cities are a lot, just the geography is so different. That would be probably a decent commute, an hour. Uh, I've worked on projects out here where my commute is two hours. So then you're looking four hours a day just in drive time. Luckily for mine, it's usually because we work so early in the morning, our morning commute is a lot less than our evening commute. So that was, I had three hours commute uh, in total on one project. You know, the traffic is awful, but I think I'm at a point in which it's a cultural shock for me when I don't see traffic. There's traffic everywhere. So it's just a part of my life. It's just normal. The sky is blue, the grass is green, and there's traffic outside. But uh, I think it's really cool out there. There's actually places out there with not a lot of traffic. Yeah, anywhere in the city I grew up, anywhere you want to go, I mean, probably about 15 minutes at most you can get there. Very different than out here. And one of the uh, things I've noticed about you, Jacob, is that I know you like to learn a lot, especially with biblical concepts. You really like to grapple with them and really look at the deeper context and meaning of, of certain scriptures. What first got you into that? Uh, boy, you went deep there. That's good. I guess uh, to start, it'd be similar to my other answer. I'm a very inquisitive person. 
I like things to make sense. I like to understand them. And I'm not one, if you just give me an answer, just because you want to please me or pacify me, I'm not just going to take it. Like, I need to grapple with it. I need to wrestle with it. I need to understand, like, well, why is this true? And I really like, I guess in a lot of areas of life, an integrated approach where everything needs to make sense together. So if I find inconsistencies within a certain theology or you tell me this, but then I find this somewhere else, like, well, how do they both make sense? They can't both be true, can they? And then you have to grapple with it and find out like, well, what does make sense where both can be true and I can be satisfied with that. Is there a specific concept that you're grappling with now? Is there like a certain scripture verse or passage in the Bible that you're like, you know, that doesn't make sense and I'm still working through it? And there's there's always that. I don't uh, I think the Lord enjoys what would be seemingly paradoxes and two things both being true that seem completely antagonistic and yet there is no tension in his mind, like he's completely content and he's not worried about the tension, but he just seems to, in every area, that that is a, a reality. It really comes down to learning balance. Uh, I mean, that can be sometimes it's looked at very Eastern, this idea of the balance, the yin and the yang. But it, even to their defense, and in, in most cultures, like truth, I, I feel is absolute. And in order for lies to be developed, they always have to start with some truth uh, and they get misconstrued. So there is bits of truth at the root of every lie and every misconception of reality. So balance is very important as we read through the scriptures. I think that there is both the the, the tension throughout the lion and the lamb. He's both, there's the fear of the Lord and he's yet he's the God of love and both are true and there's no contradiction between them when you study it out, but learning to trust the Lord in his heart is always a, is, is a battle to try to work through all these tensions. And what I like about that frame is that believers shouldn't be afraid of the unknown or, or hard to understand concepts because that's all part of the growing process. And can you talk about where you started and, and where you are now and sort of how that growth process came about? Yeah, yeah that's it, we are always growing and figuring things out. I, I find it very intriguing. I started, in a, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, we went to a more of a mainline charismatic slash Pentecostal type church uh, growing up, which was a, de a denominational church. So they had particular sets of beliefs. I didn't always just take what they said and, and run with it because I'm always looking to find it in the scriptures. What does the Bible have to say as some level of authority, at least? Because if, if it doesn't backed up by scripture, then I do question it a little bit. And even starting there, though, I have to assume that the scriptures are a good starting point, that I trust that those books, the 66 within evangelical mainline Christianity are the right 66 books and that they have some level of authority themselves, which I, I do believe that it is a good starting point to understand and grapple with truth that at least if nothing else, those 66 books have proven not only the test of time, but through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, they do have the ability to give us insight. And I don't feel like truth would be contradicted by what we see historically. We're very blessed in this time and human history to be able to have that testimony to stand upon. Whereas you look at people like Abraham, he didn't have a Bible. He didn't have any written authority in which to find his belief in his roots. His entire theology was based on an intimate, direct relationship with Yahweh back in the Old Testament where he would talk with him and speculate what that looked like, but he didn't read about it. He, he just talked with God. Very different than the opportunity we have to not only talk with God today, but we have the written history of the saints and how the Lord has interacted with them 
through history and basing this quote on the written word that we know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What we find in the scriptures and what God has done historically shouldn't contradict what we see him doing today. You know, what I like about that is think for yourself. Christians, regardless of how much you're devoted to Jesus, think for yourself. You know, don't take someone's word for it just for the sake of taking their word for it. Did you always have that mindset of I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm also going to do my own research and work through my own convictions in order to be in a place where I'm understanding things and it's all clicking for me? Or did you sort of have to learn that people aren't always right? And sometimes you just got to look deeper into it yourself. Yeah, I'll have to spend a lot of time thinking about that one. Because <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what there's one particular incident that spurred this desire to you could call it rebellion. Some people look at Martin Luther, the reformer, and say, well, he's so rebellious. Look what he did. Whereas others would look at him and say, wow, what a great, like he challenged the authority of his day. Like why? Why did he do that? And there's tons of different reasons people can speculate as to, to why he did that. But it seems like there, there are some people who are just not, they're, they're more adamant about looking and they're so convicted that they just want to find it in question, is it true? And it drives them. I guess I'm one of those people that I'm driven by wanting to know uh, what I believe. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? And maybe part of it has to do with my worldview that starting with the idea that we're all fallen creatures, that no human uh, is infallible, that even my leadership, they can make decisions, but I mean, they might not be right. I, I don't want to just assume that Everything I'm told is always the truth, but I think that we can do our own research and discover. But that there's that tension again, because if you go to the extreme, well, then truth becomes relative because everyone can believe whatever they want to believe, uh, which is not my opinion. I think there is an absolute truth, but it, it is somewhat elusive at times. And uh, I don't know that any one human always has the, the absolute authority on that truth and that there's been wars fought over that. There's been denominational splits over that. The the challenge is not finding the truth. The challenge is how do we do it together and not stop loving each other in the process of coming to that truth? Because we're told by Jesus and the, the Christian message is one of, of a unity, uh, that one day we will be unified. We're all in Christ. And how do we uh, work together while we have different theological differences? And that has been one of the biggest challenges for the church at large through, since the, the 12 disciples. And then even they didn't agree all the time. Theologian, electrician, world traveler, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the People Ventures podcast. If you haven't done so, click on that subscribe button or leave a rating or review. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or our new website at poipodcast.org.